Welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters and joining me today are my colleagues at Investors Chronicle, Deputy Personal Finance Editor Kate Bailey, Personal Finance Writer Emma Ajimang and Economist Chris Dillow. On Wednesday, Chancellor of the Exchequer, Philip Hammond, delivered what was the last spring budget, which while some described as quiet, in fact delivered some tax bombshells. The first of these particularly concerns investors. Kate, what are the details? So the dividend allowance has been cut from 5000 to £2,000. So that means that the level of dividends you can receive tax-free has been quite substantially reduced from next tax year. Yeah. And um, who will this particularly affect? So it's designed to kind of even out the playing field between those self-employed and uh, people employed in terms of the tax benefits. So it really affects those shareholders or directors of companies who pay themselves in dividends as well as income, but also obviously affects anyone with quite a large investment pot, for example, over £50,000, uh, who, who would be taking, taking dividends tax-free. Yeah, so there's people caught up in it that perhaps some weren't the intended targets, which is a bit unfortunate. What can they maybe do to mitigate this? Well, bearing in mind that the ISA allowance has quite substantially increased from 15240 to £20,000 from 2017. So in fact, you can shelter quite a lot of investment in there um, tax-free before you, you know, have to pay anything. And also, bear in mind, the personal savings allowance is rising to £11,500 too. Okay, so it was actually quite um, generous rises there. Chris, what do you make of the cut in the dividend allowance and what can investors do about it? One thing worries me here. Investors might do the wrong thing about it. They might react to this by regarding... Um, dividend-paying stocks as being less attractive and therefore reorient their portfolio away from such equities towards, say, growth stocks or or, or buy-to-let investments or or, or whatever. And I think that would be a very, very dangerous thing to do. You know, firstly, because we know that buy-to-let investments are going to be hit by some nasty tax rises um, in other ways. Uh, And also because lower income paying stocks on average tend not to do so well over the long run. So I think that other than making sure that you're maximising your your tax allowances, you know, and your SIP and ISA envelopes, you know, you should really take it on the chin. Okay. Emma, you've also been looking at some punitive tax changes. The first relates to national insurance. Can you explain this? So the big news is that the Chancellor has announced tax increases for self-employed workers. Class 4 national insurance contributions will increase from the current 9% to 10% from um, April 2018 and to 11% in 2019. So, you know, he said that this is to do to try and make even the ground between self-employed and employed people as employed people currently pay 12%. But as you've no doubt heard, it's caused a bit of a backlash. Yeah. Will this affect all self-employed people? No, it won't. It's only going to affect those with annual profits of more than £16,250. Okay. Now, there's also been a change to pensions taxation. Um, What's this change? So this is quite a large tax charge of 25% on some qualifying recognised overseas pension schemes, um, transfers, and that's crops for short. 
Um, it's only got a brief mention in the Chancellor's speech, but we got more detail in the documents that were released. Um, and it's quite a significant change because it comes into effect immediately. So actually, um, you know, if, if you had been planning to use a crops in a certain way, you could be affected by this 25% tax increase. Okay, now who does it apply to? So if it will, you will face a charge unless you plan to live in the country you're transferring your crops to. Okay, and just to qualify, a, a crops, QROPS, yeah, is Q-Rops. Um, a, an overseas pension. It's an overseas yeah. pension, that's yeah. right. So, so it's transferring your British pension into an overseas pension. Yes, yeah. that's right. So yeah. um, if you're planning to transfer your pension to a different country to the one you plan to live in and this country isn't within the European economic area, you will be affected. The only reason you you might not have to pay is if it's to do with an occupational pension that your employer gives you. Okay, so basically you're okay if you go to the same place yeah. as a pension in yeah. the European economic that's area. That's right. But other people now have this charge. Exactly. Okay, that said... I suppose not many people do it, so hopefully only a minority of pension savers in the UK. Mm. We've been talking about the bad news and the budget and tax hikes, but there was a bit of good news. Kate, what is this? Um, So yeah, the government confirmed the launch of the new three-year NS&I bond available from April, which pays 2.2% on deposits up to £3,000. Okay, um, is that something really to get excited about? Well, I mean, critics uh, say that really isn't that appealing, bearing in mind that 2.2% hardly beats the expected rate of inflation over the next few years. So, in fact, it's, it's receiving quite a cool reception from, from most quarters. OK, but uh, a bit of good news is better than none. Staying of the subject of income, low interest rates mean that investors wanting a decent yield have had to look up the risk curve to assets such as equity income for a number of years. Kate, you've been looking at equity income funds. How have they been rewarding their investors and why? Uh, Well, according to the Investment Association, the UK equity income sector has returned four times the average instant access saving account over the past 10 years. So obviously it has been a good source of income. And when you look at many of these funds, they've been increasing their dividends for kind of six, seven, eight or more consecutive years and paying out quite high levels of income as well as um, capital growth in many cases. Okay. Now... Is high income always a good thing, even if it sounds nice? Yeah, well, I mean, it it all comes down to what you're looking for, I guess. But the issue with high income is that it might not be sustainable. Um, And in fact, when I've looked at these reports in 2016, more funds cut their dividend than any year since 2012. So if you are kind of worried about consistency of income, then you need to be aware that high income might not be sustainable over time. um, And particularly long-term returns as well might be affected. Is there any particular type of fund that was, um, you know, vulnerable or doing quite a lot of these um, cuts? Yeah, um, so there are income maximising funds. So for example, Schroeder Income Maximiser, um, Insight Equity Income Booster. And the goal of those funds is to have much higher yields than others. And they use derivatives to achieve that. Um, and obviously, the goal is not for these funds to keep increasing income, but to, but to achieve a much higher yield than the market. So that's worth bearing in mind. We shouldn't punish them for, for having to cut those dividends. But um, yeah, but it does mean that they might not be able to keep paying them out year on year. Okay. Now, are there any other reasons why perhaps investors should um, think twice before putting their money into one of these maximising funds? Well, 
you should also bear in mind that high income often comes at the cost of capital growth. So if you're thinking from a total return perspective, in fact, often over the long term, those funds with the highest yields, the highest income, do tend to have lower total returns. Um, and that might be because they're sacrificing that growth in order to pay out that very high income. Um, so it's worth bearing in mind that if that's what you're after, this might not be the one to go to. If you are after short term, very high income, then these are great. Okay, now we've obviously been generalising and there's always exceptions. So among these maximising funds, would you say that there's any exceptions there? Uh, Well, Sanlam um, has highlighted Schroeder Income Maximiser as a fund which has demonstrated very good long-term total returns as well as high income. Although it's worth bearing in mind it did cut its dividend um, last year. Okay. Now, we've just been saying that, you know, high income isn't everything. So what's it better to look for when you're choosing an equity income fund? Um, Well, it depends on what you're after, really. If you need um, kind of consistency and a high total returns, um, then look for something, I guess, which has increased its dividend over year on year for many consecutive years. Um, If you're after high income, look for that. But also it's worth bearing in mind that a lot of the best income funds aren't necessarily in the Investment Association UK equity income sector. Just due to the strict yield requirements which have applied to that sector, a lot of funds have been kicked out in recent years. But there's a recent change being announced, I yeah. understand, in which fact, we'll be looking at in the next issue. Yeah, yesterday um, um, yeah. the IA did end its consultation on this and it has decided to lower that yield requirement, mm. Yeah, which is um, which is a big move, yeah. so maybe we'll see some in future, back in. But for the time being, yeah, keep your eyes open. Now, you um, in, in your report, you, you highlighted some equity income funds that rather than just delivering a high yield have been making good total returns. What would be some examples? Um, yeah, so having a look at that, uh, Trojan Income has, has come out as a very good fund. Um, over 10 years, a total return of 127%, which is obviously pretty impressive. And also an income of over 4,500 on a £10,000 investment. So that's a pretty good balance there of income and growth. Invesco Perpetual High Income, also a high total return over 100% over 10 years, as well as quite good income. So yeah, there's there's a lot of them that have generated over 100% total returns. Yeah, and if you want to see the full list, have a look at Kate's report in the magazine and online. Chris, what do you think the main things investors should consider when choosing a good equity income share or fund? Well, I absolutely hate the phrase equity income simply because it covers so many different things. Let's take three stocks, which I think are representative. And you've got Bovis Homes, currently yielding 4.5%. You've got Cobham, the defence supplier, which is yielding over 7%. And you've got Glaxo, yielding nearly 5%. Now, these are three completely different stocks. If you're buying Bovis, you're hoping that the economy will continue growing, because if we fall into a recession, normally it's house builders that get clobbered the most. If you're buying Cobham, you're hoping for, for a turnaround. It's on a high yield because it's had a, a gazillion profit warnings lately. And, and buying that is a hope that it's bad news. Um, it, it's now all in the price. And if you're buying Glaxo, it's on a high yield because investors think it has gone X growth. And Glaxo is a classic high income defensive stock. Now, you've got three different stocks here. One of which, in the case of a, a cyclical such as Bovis, you know, you get what you pay for in good times, it should do well. In bad times, it'll get hurt. 
In Cobham, you're hoping for a turnaround. In Glaxo, you're buying a pretty safe stock that isn't going to rise terribly much um, in, in the short term, but, 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 but is pretty safe and resilient in a downturn. Now, those are completely three different things. My personal view is that over the long run, on average, it's, it's the higher yield in defensives that tend, that tend to do well. And there's tons of equity income funds that, that have quite, quite a, a big bias towards those for, for that reason. And, you know, so I, I would forget the name equity income and instead look for whether you're going for turnaround situations, which I think are really dangerous, whether you're going for cyclicals, where you get what you pay for, or whether you're going for defensives, which on average can outperform over the long run, even relative to their, to, to their risk. Okay, you obviously highlighted some problems of taking this approach. So are equity income shares and funds the only way to generate an income from equities? No, not at all. You can generate an income simply by selling some of the stock. You know, you can create your own dividends. What matters is, is total return. As long as uh, your total return is good, you, you can take as much income or as little income as, as you like, uh, simply by selling it. Um, and this has a, the great virtue that remember that you've got a capital gains tax allowance of over £11,000. And, and I, I think you, you should use that. When you simply take income from your shares, you're often handed a, a chunk over to the taxman. So remember to use all, all the tax allowances that, that, that you've got. Yeah, and an important one that people often forget. Are there any other good reasons to create your own dividends? Well, the main reason is, is that it focuses you upon what really matters, which is the total stock, uh, stock's return. If you're, if you're looking for an equity income, you, you can be distracted into going into some quite risky shares. For, for example, back in 2007, investors who were desperate for equity income were buying mortgage lenders and house builders, uh, and these subsequently collapsed. You know, so so you, you've got to keep your eye on, on the risk-return relationship. Yeah, And as I say, what matters is total return and defensive income payers on average over the long run have tended to, to offer that. Yeah. Now, are there any risks or disadvantages to creating your own dividends? I think there is one disadvantage, and that is that we, we tend to indulge in wishful thinking. In some ways, uh, a temptation to overestimate likely returns on shares that you own simply by virtue of the fact that you own them. And there is therefore a danger that you decide to um, sell too much of the stock, take too big an income in the hope that your share will subsequently recover and justify the income that you've taken. Now, uh, that, that is, is the problem of the weakness of will, wishful thinking, over-optimism. You've got to guard against that. OK, some interesting ideas there. Thank you, Chris. And you can read more on good equity income funds in Kate's article in the magazine and online. An efficient way to save and invest for many employees has been to buy shares in the company they work for. Emma, you've been looking at this. How can employees do this? So there are four main ways, Leonora, and these are a company share option plan, share incentive plans, enterprise management incentives and save-as-you-earn schemes. What's the most common of these um, employee share schemes? So save-as-you-earn is probably the one that most of our listeners will have come across. 
and it's a saving plan that gives you the option to buy shares in your employer for a fixed price after a three or five year period. And the price can be 20% lower than the market share price at the time that the plan is set. Um, and what happened is, what happens is that you will pay in, um, from five to five hundred pounds a month. And after three or five years is up, you can either choose to buy the shares at the discounted price using the savings you've now built up, or you can take the cash instead. Um, and many people will buy the shares, um, at, at the discounted price, especially if the, the share price has suddenly gone up and sell them straight away to realise the value. So you can make good returns doing this. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a really good deal. Have, have any other things that you, you, you know, any other good things about this that you'd highlight? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the fact that you've got the option to buy the shares at a good discount makes it a good deal. But the fact that you also don't need to take that option. So if the share price has gone down um, or is lower than the fixed price you first agreed, you can just take the cash instead. So you've got the option to get a good deal, but at low risk. And it, this um, save as you earn scheme also comes with tax benefits. So you won't pay income tax or national insurance contributions on the difference between what you pay for the shares and their actual worth, which is which is always handy. Um, and as long as you put them into an ISA or SIP straight away after you've you've bought the shares, you won't pay capital gains tax on them either. So, yeah, a couple of good reasons to consider them. OK, I mean, that sounds all really good, but... Well, there's always two sides, isn't mm. it? Is, is there anything that's not so good about, say, schemes? Well, the main reason is that you could be putting all your eggs into one basket, um, which is never really a good idea when it comes to investment. And that's definitely the case if this is the only form of investment you make. And also, if you choose not to buy the shares and take the cash, the fact that these schemes have 0% interest means that actually you will have lost out on the opportunity to gain interest elsewhere. I mean, right now, interest rates are low, but at a different point in time, they could rise. So actually, there's an opportunity and cost there. So yeah, there's a couple of reasons why they're not so good. Yeah. Now, what could um, investors do instead of holding their shares forever? Well, they could sell the shares after the contract is up um, and then reallocate their assets into a diversified portfolio or investment fund. And that would be helpful because, I mean, another potential risk is that if you decide to buy the shares initially but choose to hold onto them rather than sell them straight away, you could be exposed to the full volatility of the markets. And that means that you could just you know, lose out of them if the price goes All down. Gains. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so something, something to think about there. Yeah. Chris, what do you think about employee share schemes? Do you think if your employer offers one, you know, should you sign up because you do get a pretty good deal and there's some tax advantages? Generally speaking, I think they probably are a good idea. The reason I say that is that the option value of them is pretty good. If you can, if you you can buy at a discount of up to twenty percent in in some schemes, you know, and that's probably a good bargain. And the loss of interest that you get if if the share should fall isn't that great at the moment. You know, you get a zero return on your cash, but on the other hand, you're not going to get a great return on cash elsewhere. You know, so in a sense, you're getting a free hit, you know, and and that that that's a good thing. I entirely agree with Emma about the danger of putting all your eggs into one one basket, um, and that 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 is a, an important consideration. Um, but on the other hand, the simple fact that you're paying in each month gets you into the habit of saving. 
you know, and that's probably a good thing in itself. Yeah. So net, I think they're, I think they're a good thing. So perhaps a sensible approach might be to have some of your savings in it, but not everything. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Okay. Thank you, Chris and Emma. That's all we've got time for today, so it just remains to thank Kate Bealey and Emma Ajimang, Deputy Personal Finance Editor and Personal Finance Writer at Investors Chronicle, and Chris Dillo, Investors Chronicle's economist. You can read more on how the budget affects savers and investors, UK equity income, and the merits of holding shares in your employer in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle on the website. Thank you for listening, and have a good weekend. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.